Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. ESNY. Another episode of the Hoops Addicts Anonymous podcast, an Elite Sports NY production recording on the evening of Wednesday. It's an, it's April 21st, a little past 7 p.m. Usually our podcast is a two-man show, a solo act tonight, but nevertheless, uh, very excited to introduce our next guest, a very talented writer who has been recently featured in The Ringer, places like 538, The New York Post. Uh, Knicks fans, Sixers fans know him very well. Uh, very pleased to have Yaron Weitzman on the podcast tonight. Yaron, uh, how's it going? Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And um, one of the places where we wanted to start was your most recent article for The Ringer entitled, um, let me go, I have it right here. I think it was the GM King, the yeah. GM Kingmaker. Is that the official title? Yes, yes, the NBA's GM's Kingmaker. A very interesting article for a lot of reasons. I'm a soccer fan, so I, I very much keep in touch with the English Premier League. So hearing that there was somebody coming over from Chelsea FC who is now kind of in charge of consulting with a lot of these teams and becoming very successful at doing it um, was something that was super interesting to me. So I, at the first question I wanted to ask. Um, was you know the 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 process of finding a, a new GM? It seemed like it started in places like Sacramento, and there was talks of internal assessment. Uh, you know that's kind of what Mike Ford was bringing to the table. What overall, when you heard that, and when you spoke to Mike, what did you feel like that process really entailed? Um, so a few things. One, he's somebody I think he wouldn't say this fully. I guess I'll give my summary of him. Right. He's somebody who would brings an idea of common sense and expertise in hiring and organizational practices to that process. Um, so I, I'm somebody who thinks consulting is a bit of a racket, right? A lot of common sense and just, you know, you can't you can, you can figure out, like, you, it's good to communicate between departments and things like that. Um, but then again, as somebody who's been in the media plenty and seen it within media organizations, like we all preach it, none of us actually do it within these organizations, right? Like, so, so I'll give you a similar example. You know, I'll be working on an article in the place I worked and somebody else will be working on a similar article and we're not allowed to talk to each other about it because of silly, whatever, silos, right? Um, so like we all talk a big game and things like that just happen to be, <laughs> doesn't always work. Um, so there's that. And, the, and this is the part he wouldn't say. Owners, though someone else said in the story, owners really struggle with hiring an MBA. A lot of them think they know the business. And they just, we see this all the time. They struggle with a professional sports business. We've seen this in countless amount of sports and countless amount of examples in cities. They come in, they think they're experts in everything because they've made a billion dollars and they're really smart in certain areas. But the professional sports 
business is a totally different beast, just something you can't compare. And this one, the, one of the best examples I give is that it's 30 competitors, but they're also your partners, right? That thing by itself right there, that dynamic is there's literally nothing else like that in the world of business, right? Um, so that, so what Mike Ford's bringing to the table is the idea that I take this seriously. I know the candidates. Um, again, there's criticism on this, but this is the basic idea. I know the candidates. I take this seriously. I've go to different organizations and I basically am developing. And he said this to me, basically, I forget his exact quote, but like every time I go into an organization, I'm basically downloading more, right? I'm becoming more of an expert because I'm seeing things that you guys can't because I'm an outsider. And this is one of the consultant pitches in general, right? I can go to different places and pick certain things. Whereas if you work for Coca-Cola, Pepsi's not going to let you in and see how they do things, right? Um, so that's what he's bringing to the table. I guess that would be the uh, long-winded way of answering your question. Does that also kind of speak to um, when he speaks and he starts talking in the piece about there being a gap within the market? And then he says more about there, there needs to be more transparency and just organizations need to get more from their people. Did you interpret that as, well, we just need more efficiency from every level, whether it's scouting, player evaluation, uh, you know, player development, whatever it is, finances? Um, did you think he was speaking to something else? So the gap in the market meant people doing what he like the the head hunt the head hunting really specifically basically head hunting that there was a gap in the market for a lot of team owners and they all want to win they all come in quickly they all end up hiring people because we go through these jobs quickly right and there was nobody to really help guide them to do it um, and that's the gap in the market that he correctly found and deduced um, in terms of the efficiency it's not only on basketball ops um, it's just in, you know again communication and where resources developed and it's not. I don't know if efficiency is the right word, like my read on what he would say. Oh, here, I'll go back to in the Sixers book, right? My book on the Sixers, a big thing there is that they were not on the same page. The business side led by Scott O'Neill and the um, and the the basketball, the basketball operation side led by Sam Hankey, right? One's rebuilding for a long time. And Scott O'Neill, who's the CEO, is worried about selling tickets, right? And that's a great example of, you know, if we're not all on the same page, we're not communicating. If the right hand doesn't know what the left is doing or if the right hand and the left hand aren't, uh, cool and, and like operating on the same timetable, at some point you're gonna clash, you're gonna butt head, that's gonna be a problem. And I think that's one of the issues when you talk about kind of alignment and synergy and some of these words that sound corny and cliche, but if you start unpacking the cliches and getting examples of these, no, they're examples of how these things have derailed uh, professional sports teams, you know, in the way that us fans can see, then it's kind of the thing we're trying to fix. Well, another uh, quote that I was really interested to read, and, and maybe as someone who's been covering the NBA for as long as you have, maybe this didn't seem that surprising to you, but it was definitely surprising to me when Ford says that, you know, job titles in the NBA don't usually match up. Yeah. <laughs> responsibilities. Like I'm sitting there as a fan, right? Like we're like, wait, what? Like, what do you mean? Yeah, um, no, that's, that's not, so I'll, I'm cutting you that, off. That's not surprising. Okay. As like somebody who fan, yeah, assistant GM is all all types of things. And a lot of times teams like a guy will be an assistant GM, but there'll be some executive who's really doing the jobs you associate with assistant GM. It's very different. Um, it's political. It's a very political piece and people that con, you know, higher title obviously gets more money and things like that. And that's going to be what it plays into and every team. So some of it can be more, um, I'll say nefarious. That might be too strong a word, right? We're like, okay, well, this guy is my good friend. I'm the GM. This guy's my good friend. He's been with me for years. I don't want him doing all the assistant GM stuff. He's really a scout, but I'm, I'm, and I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but, and the guy will say, you know, I'm uh, but I'm going to give him the assistant GM title, right. Cause that's going to take care of him. So that's, you have examples of that. You also have some examples where just 
the titles, everyone, the titles mean different things to different people, right? And we've seen recently some of the titles are changed. Like Sam Presti, his titles are hilarious in Oklahoma City. Yeah, they have like a director of foresight and insight and just like all these different things where he's kind of, and I guess we make fun of it, but I guess it kind of makes more sense. You're going to say these traditional titles don't mean anything anyway. I'm actually going to create new titles that mean something to me. They might not mean something to anyone else out there because they seem nuts. Um, but to me, they make sense. So yeah, the, uh, I mean, fans, the, the um, I mean, it's one of the things I'm, this is where I try to, one of the things I try to do most of my job, like peel back the curtain and show what's actually happening. And, and I, I find like, cause it's stuff I'm interested in. Right. And, I'm, and I love the games themselves, but I'm also interested in like, okay, how does this actually work behind the scenes? How does this actually work? What's actually happening? And I think fans, you know, a lot of, um, there's a lot of um, what's the word tricking, I guess, of fans, right? Or some magic shows, but, you know, misdirection stuff with fans. When you say things, you say, this guy's actually in charge when he's really not, or this guy found the draft pick and he really didn't, things like that. But it also speaks to, I think, like, because um, I'm, a, I'm a Knicks fan by trade and, like, you know, I, I think, you know, as fans, we've, we've always been kind of critical of whether it's ownership or front office, um, whether it's hiring people that are just friendly, that are not necessarily, like, in a great position to be running basketball ops. Um, with that in mind, do you see uh, whether it's people like Ford or people that are more in a position uh, like him as a head hunter to be kind of utilized more by NBA franchises to kind of make sure their front office is, is you know, kind of running up to par? Yeah, I mean, listen, well, owners for sure, I think so. One, that's the that's what I wrote about in the story, right? Like, they, a lot of them are coming from this world of finance and corporate corporate world, right? It used to be like Jerry Buss's types, or they had money other places, but the the team was the business, right? Like that was the main thing. Now it's just part of the portfolio, and that Mike Four types are guys they bring in to run or or uh, streamline things in their other businesses, right? Uh, I mean, look at how many guys come from private equity. Private equity, like. <laughs> they're in a way they're kind of consultants you know people don't like that i mean you're you're buying another business you're stri- you're cutting it down you're going to say we're going to make it more efficient things like that there's a consulting aspect to private equity right that's where some of these guys made their billions of dollars like josh harris and sixers and others so i would expect and that's kind of one of the impetus for the piece impeti impetus impetuses whatever the plural is um the uh the um the idea of like this is a trend that i expect to kind of be happening more like and this is why this guy he represents something greater happening in the nba and my, my last question on this piece before we kind of transition into the the sixers uh it's a fun one for me i definitely wanted to ask you what, what percentage of reporters or writers that you know do you feel could succeed in an nba front office right now <laughs> and, and if you have any names of someone who you feel would do well Please let me know. You can't say Zach Lowe. That's the only person you can't. <laughs> well, so what's the job? You mean as like a what? At any job in front office? I would like say a GM? I would say GM or president. Okay, well that's different. Um, I'm gonna say none, right? Like, but what? But but there's a reason, right? There are plenty. So Zach Lowe and John Hollinger, and I'm using them as two examples, right? But and John Hollinger was there before. Um, there are a lot of writers. I'll say a lot. You know, I don't know, probably five. All right. Even people lower, quote unquote, right, and that aren't as prominent as Zach Lowe types um, who know the game really well, right, yeah. and could be, I don't want to say maybe a scout or just like some sort of player, um, basketball ops, we'll call it, right? Um, but part of the thing about the piece, what I was saying, and this is part of the idea, is that like, you know, being a GM president, it's just a different job now. The idea of evaluating talent is just, it, it's like, a, it, I mean, it's a big part of it, obviously, you got to get that right, but it's also 
you know, more importantly, you hire the people who do that for you correctly. Right. Like it's, it's, it's a managerial role in, in every sense of the world. Word. And uh, as much as I love my fellow writers, we are not uh, managerial types. Um, so that would be my answer to that, right? Now, if you tell me you in five years of seasoning as a, uh, I don't know, vice president of whatever, right? Moving up, then that's different, right? But just to come in and run an organization, that I think would be a mess unless you're coming in saying, I'm going to be very curious. And my job is going to be like, I'm going to, I'm because I'm good at asking questions and I've been on the outside enough and I'm going to bring in smart people and I'm going to hire all the smart people around me and do that. I guess that'd be the one out, but that's my answer. So it's a bit of a cop out, but there's a reason for it. No, I understand that. Um, that makes sense. And, um, you know, it's interesting too, because like you could say in a sense, even though he's been around the game for so long, but Leon Rose kind of did that, right? Like through his connections, he brought in people who he felt could kind of uh, put him in the best position to say, okay, like we need a talent guy. We need somebody who has relationships in the NBA. Um, I need a coach who I know that is going to demand a lot of his players. So he, he very much did that, you know, kind of, Correct. you know, doing um, compensating for whatever he knowledge he doesn't have. He brought people, he put people around himself who did have that knowledge. Correct. Right. And even, and he, so like, right. He's a complete uh, newbie and beginner and some of it, you know, bringing a lot of friends so there's a you can spin it a different way like you know there's a positive that he's bringing in all these people who are smart get negative is he just wants to work with his friends you know glass half full glass half empty approach depending on how you want to look at it not approach um view of that um but he, he even he had like he ran a big business before right that's a different he had managed people that's a big difference that my uh my colleagues have uh we've managed ourselves and we know how to make fun of each other and eat free food right i don't know about the other part so <laughs> i say that's a pretty good life uh for <laughs> um moving on to the sixers though so obviously you know they've had a ton of success this year um daryl moray has been new to the sixers and uh there's there's his, his mark is on this team for sure they're 39 and 18 first in the eastern conference if you had to organize a list of who deserves the most credit for their success <laughs> this year. And the list included Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons. How would you order that list and why? <laughs> okay, I mean, that's a good question. So, the, the, okay, right, so I'll throw it all out, right? The obvious answers are Embiid for becoming better, right, better shape, uh, becoming a deadly mid-range shooter, just becoming this dominant offensive force, which he, he'd been good before. He actually wasn't as great at offensively, just efficiently, efficiency-wise in the past as maybe some people thought um, or as he should have been, if you watched him play um, there's Maury obviously who making the moves and just saying, Hey, we're just going to flood the floor of the shooting here. Like that's how you surround these guys. You know, we get Steph and Steph, excuse me, Seth Curry and Danny green um, and doc rivers, obviously figuring out how to connect or just make the pieces work in a way they had it before. I'll put doc rivers last last is the wrong word, right? I think he's done a really good job, but out of those three, mm -hmm. Um, I'll put them on the bottom just because I'm not trying to separate that. And, you know, I've, I have wondered, like, you know, if Brett Brown coaches roster, could he have also done it? Could they also be in first place in the East? Um, That's kind of the next place I wanted to go with this because, you know, after being fired from the Clippers, Doc received, you know, his fair share of criticism. And that's going to kind of come with the territory when, when you're let go from a position, late game execution, rotations, et cetera. But what do you think, he's brought to the 76ers and what is so different about him in comparison to Brett Brown? First of all, Tobias Harris seems to like respond to him. Like it's like Doc yeah, Rivers on the sideline. I'll hit all my shots. It's the funniest thing. Um, no, listen, so a new, a new voice that, that could be that that's often required in many, in, you know, well, let me back up. 
One is for he's, he's gotten some luck, right? So I'm not going to give Doc Rivers the credit for Joel Embiid coming in in shape. Like that happened before Doc Rivers was even hired, right? Or coming in the best shape of his career, truly, as opposed to like the fake every offseason where I'm in the best shape of my life, right? Um, Doc Rivers has a better roster than Brett Brown did the past two years. I was trying. I asked the end of the, um, the Jimmy, that Jimmy year, they were, that was a better roster. But this is, you know, shooting, right? This is shooting. Um, so that I don't want to give them credit for that. Um, you can give them credit for is I do think some of their um, the way they played has been the, some of their schematic stuff. And I'm, I don't pretend like I know basketball. I don't pretend you know I, I'm not the the reading the X's and O's like that is not something that's not my expertise. But I do think there are things that they've done a little better in terms of getting the, beat the ball in certain spots and spreading and you know some more pick and rolls and things some different substitution patterns and things like that. Um, where the Sixers in the past have been very big on staggering, for example, and staggering and beating Simmons this year, they're doing opposite. Then again, it's leading them into issues because they have a backup center problem, right? And they're right. playing Ben because they're not staggering because the way they're playing, no matter Ben Simmons ends up with Dwight Howard a lot as a problem. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how to say, I mean, but clearly a new voice and they're clearly responding to him. So like, you got to give him credit for that too. And he's clearly connecting with them in a way that Brett Brown did not recently. And a big part of my book was that was not always Brett Brown's fault. He, there were some factors that made his job more difficult, even right. from like, I mean, beat standpoint and B talked about this on Zach Lowe's podcast recently, but indeed was basically dealing with depression his first season in the league. Cause his brother had been tragically killed and it's horrible. And right. from that point, he's not in shape. He's not listening. It just sets a precedent for things. And Brett Brown couldn't do anything about that. It's not on him. So it's a, it's a tough one. The other part is I would love to have a better answer for you. It's so hard. We're not there, right. As reporters, right. it is yeah. so hard. Like we're doing it over zoom. I don't see anything. We, I talk to people, but even the amount of people around the team are limited, right? Because tier ones and tier twos, it's just very hard to answer these questions without really guessing. It's hard to read uh, body language and, and also when players interact because you, you on a Zoom, you're usually just talking to one person for the most part. Correct. I don't see, right. You can't see how to feel for it. I don't see how others are looking. Just, you know, if you're around the team regularly, you pick up on things, you see right. things, you see interactions and or, you know, accidentally, whatever it is. You just, we just don't get that this year. And I think, you know, to get on my high horse, I do think, like, you know, at some point we're going to discuss with fans and media and whatever, and, like, there'll be, I'm sure, talk where should media be allowed back in the locker room. And, and I do think, obviously, it's self-serving, but I think there's something that, like, fans, they, they, they do miss out on things like this also, right? There's, yeah. there's stuff that, there's storytelling that's not making it back to them because we don't have those answers. Oh, I, I definitely agree, for sure. Um, another player that we touched on was Ben Simmons. One question I wanted to ask you is of the players making their case for the defensive player of the year, <laughs> Simmons is certainly up there. You could argue that, you know, a, a point guard really has one of the most difficult tasks as a point of point of attack defender. Do you think he has any chance at all to overtake Gobert in that race? And yeah, he- I think, I think he's leading that way. Does not I, I feel like, at this, I don't know what the odds are. Um, I feel like at this, and not just because he's campaigning via interviews. Right. But I feel like at this point, I think he, I'd be surprised. I would say, I don't. Know, I don't know what the answer is. Is he a fa- if he's a favorite? I know he can in the ads. Like I, I feel like he's. I think he's gonna win. I think he's. Yeah, I think he's top two right now. I, the one thing I also wanted to ask on that was, do, do you think that it hurts his his candidacy at all that he's paired with such a great defender in Embiid? Um. So two separate questions there. Can it hurt his candidacy? Maybe because voters are weird, right? So I don't know. And I forget who gets, I don't have a vote. I forget if defensive player of the year is one of those where they have like 12 people vote or like the entire league. I think it's the entire, all the media base. And some of those votes get really strange. So yes, it could. Should it? No, especially the way Simmons plays, right? His thing is like, 
it's not like he's somebody we're saying he's a lockdown perimeter defender and that's all he which he is and because yeah it's easier to guard the perimeter if you know you have Joel Embiid behind you right it's 100 and Joel Embiid is a you know generational defensive player um Ben Simmons switches one through five and creating havoc and locking down guys superstar like that it's a different thing that would happen even if a beat was in there yeah his, his deflections uh loose balls like he's he's always up there um I mean I don't think he's lost to the Knicks in his career so I always <laughs> garden so it's it's never a good sign when you see Ben Simmons in the lineup for me but um last question for the Sixers uh Shake Milton and, and Furkan Korkmaz have been kind of two young players that have developed really nicely this year. They're playing a key role in helping the 76ers win, win games. Uh, Daryl Moore has been pretty famous in terms of trading everything under the sun in order to put the best talent around his top players. What is your sense? I mean, Korkmaz is an unrestricted free agent after this year. Milton's still on his rookie deal, but whether it's just him or, or young guys on this team in general, what, what do you think is is the future that they might have? Do you think some of these young guys are are whether it's Tybal are are gonna last or you know just maybe used in a trade to get another player? Question. I I was surprised that he didn't use them for Lowry. Right, his whole thing has always been you know five percent chance to win, you go all in. And I was surprised that because I mean they could have had Lowry. I don't know what the exact offers were, but we know what they could have. You know, if they we know what the basic idea of a package would have been, right? And they could have had him. I'm sure if they gave you know, they met Toronto with some of that stuff and he didn't, which is interesting to me. So either it means he likes those players a certain amount or he didn't think they made it, Lowry made a difference or he didn't think that his team won a championship this year. Um, in terms of going at like, yeah, a betting man would say a lot of those get guys get cashed in. He had some quote, I forget what it was, after the press conference, after the trade deadline in a press conference saying, basically basically saying um, you want to keep flexibility for like things that are possible in the future too, right? It's not year one, you have to work. And that kind of, to me, he said, you know, Bradley Beal, I'm making up a name, right? Like, we're going to keep an eye on this. We right. want to be in on there. Um, so, I, yeah, I would ex- – I mean, we'll see what happens here. Like, they could win this year. They have a legitimate chance to win a championship. So, maybe that changes the the um, outlook. And playoff basketball tells you, like, you know, in terms of player evaluation, playoff basketball tells you so much in terms of, like, who can be counted on. Because it is a different game. And you can really – there are regular season players and playoff players. And you can get a good look. So, it's hard to say now. But, yeah, I would assume just knowing his history, you know, a good amount of those guys will be, he will try to deal them to trade off. Right. Yeah. I could definitely see that too. Um, just, just two more before we get you out of here. The last, last one is, is more um, NBA general. What are your top storylines as we get closer to the playoffs? See, regular season comes to a close. I, I know you're, you know, tied into the, the Sixers, the Knicks, the Nets. What are the things that you're really looking at um, as, you know, teams are kind of jockeying for a playoff position? So, I mean, the Nets, just the Nets in general, right? That whole thing, it's unprecedented, right? Like, now it looks like Harden's not going to be back for the playoffs. So, just, I, I don't even have to, like, give a t- – just when I say the Nets, if you're a basketball fan, you know what I mean. Just everything about them is fascinating and unprecedented, and I just want to see what it looks like from every single angle, right? In terms of who comes back, who does, the lineups they use, how they're going to play, all these kinds of things. So, the Nets, to me, is a big one. Um, and can you just throw a team together and win a championship without, without a training camp, without them knowing really each other, right? Um, that in beats health is to me a big one, always monitoring that in terms of like, can he play, stay healthy and play at that high level basically for two months, every other day, right? That's going to be the question for them. And LeBron and AD's health, right? To me, like those are the other ones, those in out West. And that's a big, those are three, to me, the three big ones that I'm 
curious and interested and interested and i think that carry the most um weight yeah the next one is is really interesting to me too um just because i'm so fascinated to see how they play in the playoffs i think early on depending on who they play i, I mean i i probably a um biased nick fan here but i would <laughs> love to see them in the first round even though we, we would lose I, I just think that's no that's when you want to see them right like oh, before I, they're gelling while they're still kind of recovering i mean that's i think i agree i think it's when you want to see them yeah and i think also regardless of the outcome of that series i think it would do a lot for um future free agents you know people just watching on a national scale uh, i think it would be great um last one uh before we get you out of here i have to ask obviously um the book tanking to the top you know great um you know public notoriety i wanted to ask in comparison to that book of anything you've written in the last you know five years or so um is is the leon rose piece probably the <laughs> not the most you know um yeah clicks, sure. whatever whatever you want to call it no the most feedback yeah for first of all it's a new york post because the new york post for the knicks it's just like more than my book right like as much as i love my book and I'm, I think it had an I don't know, impact matter. That's too strong a word, whatever. It reached the fans of the audience. Like A's in inside the Nick story, leading the back page of the post in New York. Like that's, you know, that you can't find another in terms of matching topic and audience and outlet, right? That's like the perfect Venn diagram. So for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, that one was, uh, yeah. And like, you know, I'll pat myself on the back. I had stuff that hadn't been like, you know, people didn't really have that story. People were curious and I kind of had an insight that, hadn't been provided before so um yeah i pat myself on the back i'm you know certain stories you know you miss certain you hit i i hit that one and i was you know it was a great home for it i think it just it worked out really well oh, oh it, was, it was a massive home run i mean everyone because and, and you said it correctly like I, with leon rose's first front office draft whatever you want to say everyone is wondering what's the process like what are the conversations like to be a fly on the wall to see all the stuff with wes i mean like it was crazy the interesting thing for me as a fan was I did leave that article feeling a little bit worried just based on um, yes, some, some of the idiosyncrasy, you know, just some of the, you know, eccentric behavior and Tibbs being like, I want every vet under the sun, which we knew was going to happen anyway. I, I you know, you kind of get that. You want Leon to be the guy that can kind of rein him in as someone who's known him for two decades. But um, I did leave that article feeling a, a little rough, but then after the trade deadline, I guess to, in, in my sense, I was like, well, maybe there is, maybe Leon really is the, the, I don't want to say puppet master, but he, he is the right managerial person to be there to have all of these guys who have very different strengths, but probably are a little bit combustible under the same roof, but he kind of figures out a way to kind of, um, you know, stir the soup or whatever you want to say. You know, it, it's a cop out, but time will tell whether that article is looked I think like, you know, look back at it, it's like, Ooh, this were the warning signs or, Oh, this is a, this is like, let us know. Yeah. It's a little kooky, but like this works. So, and you know, we'll have to, we'll only, you know, then that's like, I wrote it straight on purpose. Right. Cause I really believe it could go either way. I'm a little dubious, right. Skeptical. I don't know if the process is great, but who knows? It, it could be great. It could work. Right. It could work. And sometimes in the NBA it just takes a little, a little luck anyway. So, you know, we'll only time will tell. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't agree more. It's going to be a fascinating story going forward. Uh, your own. Listen, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I, I really appreciate it. Really great to talk some hoops with you. Uh, just before I let you go, if you can let anyone know if, if there's something that you're working on now and want to promote or where. People sure. Work on what am I working on now? I'm trying to say I don't even remember now. I'm working on. Yeah, I mean, you can check out Twitter. I have all my stuff. 
listen to the podcast, Whites Me Can't Jump, and uh, I'm working on something now. Yeah, nothing, uh, just a bunch of things early on. Nothing to uh, plug as much as I wish, but I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. Of course. Uh, thanks again for coming on. To everybody listening, we hope you guys are staying safe, and we will talk to you soon.